Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to History in Technicolor with me, Wolf O'Neill. And me, David Crowther. Welcome, David. Thank you for inviting me, Wolf. No worries. I invited you today because I wanted to talk about Sofia Coppola's 2006 film, Marie Antoinette. It stars Cust. Good Lord! What made you choose that film, Wolf? He interrupted rudely. No, no, that's fine. I forgive you. Um, I've, I've, I've just wanted to watch it for years. Um, I think I saw it briefly when it first came out, but I wasn't really that interested in it at the time. So I wanted to give it a proper watch. And I'm also aware that while the film was criticized heavily upon release, I think it has been reappraised a lot in recent years. And I thought it would be a nice, possibly divisive film um, that would be a good one to discuss. We like divisiveness here. Was the reason that you previously weren't interested in Marie Antoinette, the movie, Mm-hmm. Um, because you weren't doing a uh, history podcast. Possibly, but I also know that I became a fan of Sofia Coppola after this film was kind of released. I just re- I remember it coming out in 2006, and I don't think I really paid attention to her work right. until maybe so sort no of post-2010. Um, okay. Yes. <laughs> Very good. Although uh, the podcast yes, no. definitely helps. No, no, yes. Okay, sorry, yes, you are explaining what the film is. And I have to call it film, apparently. Jane gets very cross with me if I use the word movie. Mm. See, I think I um, interchange film and movie, but I do think so I, do I. I use it... I would not call, let's say, a Jean Renoir movie. Ugh, I just did. I called it a movie. Ah, I guess it doesn't... Um. <laughs> 
Um, okay, whatever rule I was going to come up with doesn't exist because I've already disproved it's it. Right? Yes. Well, all I'm saying is, if you meet Jane uh, and you talk to her about films, talk to her about films. Don't talk to her about movies. Otherwise, she'll have your ears. I will remember this. Um, okay, well, good. this film slash movie uh, stars Kirsten Dunst as Marie Antoinette and Jason Schwartzman as Louis Auguste or Louis the Sixteenth, and it follows their lives at the Palace of Versailles from their arranged marriage up to the French Revolution and their downfall. And it is specifically based on the book Marie Antoinette, A Journey by Antonia Fraser. So, David, what did you think of the film? Your initial thoughts? Uh, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. As it happens, Wolf, um, I did not watch this movie because you commanded me to watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, it just so happens that when he said, hey, let's do Marie Antoinette, I had already seen it. Very recently. So I was, you know, most pleased because that meant I didn't have any extra homework to do. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was uh, it was fun. We had a good time, Jane and I. A good time. Good. Wonderful. Um, there was also an interesting impression of my voice, which I, yes, I didn't Yes, it was interesting, wasn't it? <laughs> Everybody recognized it, of course. Immediately. You too enjoyed it, did you? Yeah, I, 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 I really enjoyed it. And I think... That, uh, a sec- did you miss those? Did you miss those wasted years when you hadn't seen it? Did you regret them, Wolf? The, the missed opportunity when your life could have been fuller. I'll, st- I'll just be quiet. No, now. the the answer is no because I think <laughs> that I might have been swayed by the general consensus. I feel like I'm older and I'm wiser, and I know what I'm yeah. getting from this movie. And you do know what. Judas Priest said about that, don't you? Uh, you got to be old, young, old to be wise, young to be you cool. You don't have to be old to be wise. You don't have to be old to be wise. Okay, a bit of Judas Priest. Thank you, David. From Birmingham. Thank you. Don't mention it. Where was I? Yes, I loved the movie, and I would really like to watch it again. That's that's my main takeaway, That kind of my summary. I'm desperate to see this in the cinema for a second viewing, so I know what I'm getting, and then I can just let myself be absorbed into the the sumptuousness and the decadence of this film. It is extremely sumptuous, isn't it? Like a, like a vast silk, uh, silk eiderdown, or maybe even a, a fondant French fancy. Ooh. Um, <laughs> speaking, speaking of cakes. Oh yes. And of which there might be some link to Marie Antoinette, but I've never heard of one. No. I wanted to ask you what your favorite cake is. Did you really want to ask me what my favourite cake was? Um, I mean, I'm, you know, it's a delightful question because, of course, I think I spend a lot of time thinking about cakes. Um, when I were a lad, Wolf, my mother, who, whenever I go and see her, tells me about 55 times a day that she was a cookery demonstrator, um, used to cook us cakes frequently. There was always a cake on the go. Uh, and I realised that the key ingredient to a cake is the vast quantity, the shed load, the lorry loads worth of sugar that she puts into them. I mean, you know, flour and butter were there because they had to do a job, but sugar Mm. was the thing. So my favourite cake is an orange cake with lots and lots of buttercream in the middle and vast amounts of orange-flavoured sugar icing on the top. Now, when I got married and Jane and I walked into the sunset together, um, I quickly came to understand that I had been wrong all my life. And in actual fact, too much sugar is a bad thing. 
in a cake and there were much finer mm. cakes like cucumber cake or carrot cake things like that so i beat myself several times a day but whenever i get to make a cake it's carrot cake it's not carrot <laughs> it's cake fine. it's orange cake <laughs> you have been indoctrinated well i have oh. you have learned david was... carrot cake is first. <laughs> i uh, love <laughs> carrot cake i love carrot especially cucumbers Mmm, give me more cucumber cake. What about you, Wolf? Um, before I answer, I assumed your answer was going to be a cake filled with um, raisins and currants. Why would you think that? Because I, I feel because you love buns so much. I really thought that like the fruity buns mm. would transfer into fruity cakes. Mm. I mean, that is booty friends are very much the thing. If you're if we're talking the bun world um well well i'm gonna say this answer but for various reasons i feel like you maybe are going to correct me my answer is bakewell tart bakewell tart well i have to tell you that obviously remember first comment is that obviously just in the same way that cheesecake isn't a cake Mm -hmm. bakewell tart isn't a cake obviously having said that there is no question in the western world or indeed the universe, to which Bakewell tart is not the correct answer, okay? Because Bakewell tart is the finest of food coming from the finest of English counties, Derbyshire, of course. Mm. Uh, And so I entirely commend you in your erroneous view. And was it invented in the town of Bakewell? I think so. I mean, they go there and you have big arguments about Bakewell pudding and Bakewell tart. But to be honest, Bakewell tart's nicer than Bakewell pudding, in my humble opinion. Other opinions are available. It's the almond. Mm. It's the almond, <laughs> Wolf. It is the almond. It, ah, it just, there is nothing better in the world than a Bakewell tart. Well, good. I'm glad I pleased you and that we agree on that. You have, you've, you've pleased me, Wolf. Uh, jumping off of this. Not a cake, not a cake though. No. Um, jumping off of this question, and maybe you have already given me your answer now, but I was inspired by the, all the extravagant food in this film and yes. how readily available it is. So at breakfast, yes. it's almost like every food you could possibly eat for breakfast is prepared every morning, and then you just decide what mm. you want to eat. Oh, a little bit of fish? Sure. A little bit of meat? Sure. <laughs> um, so what I wanted to know is if you were the Dauphin, what food would you most readily would you most want readily available at all times? Okay. So I fear that I stand, as Don McLean sang, I stand at a, a crossroads, mm-hmm. Wolf, because up until now, the one solid thing in my life um, has been uh, toast and marmalade, that, that there is no finer food, with the possible exception of Bakewell tart, mm-hmm. to toast and marmalade. But funnily enough, for the last few months, for various unknowable reasons, I've actually gone off toast and marmalade. You can't, I can't tell you how disorienting this is uh, and how much it's damaged me, Wolf. I'm a very damaged person now. So I don't know. I don't know. Bakewell tart. Not default. Okay. Um, I think it's a really easy answer that I'm going to put out there. Really? I would say chips. Chips. Well, yeah, my mother would agree with every time I go and see her again, after she's told me about the fact that she was a cookery demonstrator 10 times, she then talks about, will I go and get her some chips, which I inevitably 
and unfailingly do, in fact. You're a good son. Good choice. I am a good son. I mean, you know, I don't live with her as I probably should do, but I do buy her chips. Well, uh, from one good son to uh, one possibly bad son, the Dauphin. Really? Well, I don't know. Ah, the Dauphin. Well, he seems like a good enough lad, doesn't he? Yeah, maybe you're just a bit incompetent. Um, I guess, actually... He reminds, he reminds me of Farmer George, actually, funnily enough. He has one job, though, and it's to produce an heir. And yeah. um, he dillies and dallies. And dallies and dillies, actually, as well, yeah. Okay, a few of my remaining final thoughts on the film after our brief okay. foray into Cakes and Food. Um, I think it's just worth pointing out that the costumes in this movie are absolutely incredible. Uh, and it, they are. it rightly won the Academy Award. I think the production design in general, and so I'll come back to this later. I put production design, set construction, aesthetic of the film is excellent, but it was filmed in Versailles. So I wonder how much I um, it's just the incredible locations. Maybe the building looks exactly as it did, essentially. Um, through the restoration. And so that's a lot of what you're getting. But in general, it looks absolutely incredible. Um, I was a fan of the film's approach and its point of view. I thought the cast were on top form and they work for the vision of the of the film. And coming back to see this film, having seen so many of Sofia Coppola's other works, I enjoyed seeing the kind of trademarks and signs um, of an auteur uh, developing their career. I like that the film is fairly slow and melancholic a bit pensive but at the same time fun and bold and i enjoy the focus on emotions and characters over plot and kind of wider history and i just generally thought the film had a slight cheeky approach to it which from that opening image um of marie antoinette i think in the bath or on a chaise lounge or something like that and I think you just know you're going to have some fun and you get that with the music. And I just generally really enjoyed the, the modern approach um, and everything that it was giving to me. Good. Yes. I so I certainly agree. I, is it a chaise long? Chaise long? Chaise long? Anyway. Chaise um, lounge. Is it? I don't, no, I don't know. No. No, it can't it's be. It's a chaise long, isn't yeah. it? Long chair. Anyway. Uh, whatever. Um, it's French. It's not French. It's uh, fresh. Was the word I was. It is for. also French. She's <laughs> <laughs> going badly wrong this episode. Um, it it felt fresh to me. You know, it was very upbeat. Um, it was a bit like a marshmallow, mm-hmm. to be honest. In the sense that I'm not sure how much substance there was. Mm. Um, but it tasted nice while I was eating it. Um, I'm not quite sure afterwards, although we'll talk about some Mm. things I was left with, but I thoroughly enjoyed the experience of eating the marshmallow until it was gone. That's a, it's a pretty interesting observation. And I, while I think maybe I feel slightly differently, I still kind of think that that can completely work. Um, the movie knows what it's doing um, like tonally and visually and this experience of like decadent excess delivered kind of in physically what you see on the screen but mainly in the like 
um, overindulgence of the the colors and the over the top characters. And, you know, it's having fun and it, it wants to uh, kind of throw it all on your face and give you a you know that extravagant sense yes. of what Versailles could possibly have been like at its most like extreme and flamboyant. Yes, I think that's what I mean by fresh. That um, it kind of knows what it's doing. It's not ashamed of it. It's breaking some rules. Um, and that's great. You know, you think, oh, I'm enjoying this because, you know, it's not, it's not a, it's not like the duelists that we have just done, which is, you know, incredible exactitude um, and that sort of thing. It's clearly breaking some rules, but it's fun nonetheless. I didn't realize until today that we actually have kind of gone back in time to build all the way up until roughly when the duelists begins in its timeline. Yes, true. We've done it the wrong order, yeah. haven't we? Okay. What did you think of the music? That's probably one of the big points, possibly of contention. Well, let me ask you a question. Okay. First of all, what was your favourite piece? What was your favourite tune, that what you recognised? So... Did you recognise any, actually? Because you're a young man. Yeah. I'll... Well, you're not actually that young anymore, are you, to be honest? Shh. I mean, younger than me, but, you know. Sorry, carry on. I will admit that this is not usually music that I listen to, but that being said, I've had the soundtrack playing multiple times since I watched it to really keep right? me in the mood and to, you know, absorb myself into the songs and get a feel for it. Um, and I'm enjoying it greatly. I definitely knew the song I Want Candy. So when that came on, I was like, okay, yeah, I get this. Um, and I was aware of generally of some of the artists, but maybe not the songs. Like I didn't know the song Hong Kong Garden. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a very good song. Susie and the Banshees, which my, who, who my mate at school used to resolutely call Suzyxi <laughs> until we tied him down, put his head in the, to- in the school toilets and forced him to say Susie. Um, did he manage it? Eventually, yeah. Just a mouthful of water. And we had to pull the chain a few times, but, you know. But he deserved it. Yep, I can't disagree. Um, no, quite. Okay, then what was your what was your favourite tune in the film? I think, well, I've actually forgotten, but I think there was a, an, an Adamantine song, wasn't there? Uh, wasn't it Adamant yes, in there? Yeah. Which was it, actually? I've forgotten which one it was. Uh, you keep talking, I'll look it up. Stand and Deliver? It wasn't Stand and Deliver, actually. Oh, I'm looking, I'm looking. Excuse us, everyone. Uh, Wolf's just doing some research. Uh, it's not that we weren't prepared. Okay, it, it was Kings of the Wild Frontier. I mean, Kings of the Wild Frontier, Adamant was made for this movie. It's almost as though Adamant did all his songs back then because he knew this film was coming up and that his songs and his look would be perfect for it. I mean, he should have been in the movie, shouldn't he? He should have been yeah. Louis, except Lou wasn't that character. But you know what I mean? Yeah. He should have been one of the courtiers. Um, this film reminded me of A Knight's Tale with its approach to music, um, yes, which I was looking I forward agree. to mentioning because totally I know you love A Knight's yeah. Tale. I do love A Knight's Tale. I totally agree. It's just like that. You know, they. Um, it, it's not It's absolutely non-historical completely and utterly inappropriate from a historical sense but it's completely appropriate to the movie yeah and it completely captures the the mood and the feel of what you wanted to do 
with that time period and that setting. Um, yeah. I wanted to add one main point about this. There's a bunch of additional composed music, classical music, that is used throughout the film. And the soundtrack is like split between the two. And I think it's really important and a really smart decision because I think, if I'm remembering correctly, they use a lot of the classical music for when they're depicting um, palace life, um, the kind of world that Marie Antoinette is being bought into. And right. part of the like decadence and um, the you know aristocratic rules and systems that they have in place are this music plays throughout them, like the repetitive mm. breakfasts. But it's when you start to see Marie Antoinette's viewpoint or you get scenes of her with her friends or kind of separate from that palace life or as the palace life is changing because of her, that's when more of the punk music comes in. And I, I think it's just a really smart use of the two different right. styles of music um, to kind of oppose each other. Right. Interesting. I hadn't noticed, but, um, you know, I was being worked on behind the scenes, uh, a bit like the carrot cake thing. I see. Yeah, I just... Although, actually, Jane didn't work behind the scenes on the carrot cake thing. She said, eat cucumbers, not sugar. Sorry, carry on. So, anyway, my main point was that it's not all... It's not 100%, you know, uh, 80s music, punk music, just for the sake of it. It's very much a part of this reinterpretation of Marie Antoinette and that view of her as like a teenage rebellious girl um, in this environment. So I think they use the both forms of music interesting, like to clash with each other. Yeah. Um, okay. Did you think mm-hmm. amongst all of this, I know I shouldn't be asking you the question. No, no, please. Did you think in all of this that the story got lost? Yes. Right. Um, definitely when it comes to the history, sometimes I'd look back and I'd be like, oh, I actually didn't learn anything or no. I don't really understand the consequences. I think you can get through it with a very loose understanding of kind of what's to come. It's interesting that Marie Antoinette exists as this like caricature um, even if no one ever reads or learns very much about her. And I think you can live off of that and play with that in this film. Um, but its its plot is is loose, and there are huge chunks of the film with very little dialogue. Um, it's this kind of visual and emotional experience, um, yeah. more than anything. It's, it's quite interesting, because I thought, you know, you've got this story going on, which is about this young, very rich, very privileged girl being married off to a distant prince, um, going there wanting to do the right thing um, and failing to do her one duty, not because of anything she's not doing, but because of her other half Mm -hmm. and getting lots of advice from her mother about what she should be doing to try and attract her. this young man, although Maria Teresa does make a crucial mistake, as I think I'm sure you'll have observed, and no point does she say, just give him some bakewell tart and you're away, <laughs> which she should have done, obviously. Uh, but forgetting, obviously. I'm never going to give you some bakewell tart. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, darling. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, where were we? Um, so there is that story going on and the awkwardness. And, you know, how they get together and finally, you know, 
in a funny sort of way, that didn't really touch me. You know, it didn't. I wasn't there as I should have been, I think, thinking, ah, this is really difficult, isn't it? A nightmare for her. Because to be honest, she was having too much fun. Yeah, I do think, I think this is fairly common with Coppola's work in that I think you are kept at a slight distance from the characters. Mm. And you aren't always privy to all of their inner thoughts. And you can kind of take what you want from it. Um, and it's that kind of coldness. Um, and I do think you feel that in this. I'm not necessarily saying I'm connected to her. And maybe that's a yeah. good thing because I, I gather that one of the part of the problem in the movie is that it possibly pulls its punches when it comes to how it handles them like as a family and as a ruling class with regards to the revolution coming. Well, this is my main point that I had prepared for mm-hmm. you today. Yes. Wolf, because to be honest, my input into this episode is pretty much done. Oh. So I'm going to hand it over to the rest of you while I go make myself a cup of tea, because I'm not sure I've got anything else to say. But um, but the main, the main impact of this disengagement, mm-hmm. which I think you very accurately describe in the movie, um, is that I think it perfectly encapsulates the sense of distance that Marie Antoinette very probably, almost certainly, felt from her subjects. She is sent in from an incredibly separate privileged world into an incredibly separate privileged world. Mm-hmm. In Versailles, it was built specifically for the reason of getting the king away from the mob in Paris when Louis XIV built it. And that's what it does. She is in this completely false world. And you really get that in the movie. You get dragged into all the trivialities of, you know, the clothes she's wearing, the food she's eating, the men she's having sex with. There's nothing real. You know, there's, there is the realness of the fact that she can't, um, you know, she's forgotten to give her husband bacon tart. But um, that falseness for me, is the most the best historical truth of the movie because you understand just how distant the ancien regime was from understanding the real problems that its people faced. I rest, so. Well, then you get that really good scene where she claps at the opera again and is so disillusioned or disconnected, as you say, that she's visibly shocked and taken aback when the people around her don't copy her again and don't, you know, bow down to her. That's her kind of first realization that um, things have turned sour. Yes. Something's wrong. Um, Yes, I think so. Um, I mean, the other iconic moments, iconic, much overused word, uh, the other Bakewell Tartian movement in the uh, point in the movie mm-hmm. ah, film was the one where the mob has arrived and she goes out, she hears them and she goes out onto the balcony of Versailles and you see their pitchforks waving a bit as though, you know, they're, they're, they've come to get Dracula. Like the opening of um, Shrek. Yes, like the opening of Shrek, yeah. Um, 
And she kind of does this odd gesture of, you know, bowing to them. Mm-hmm. And I think what I think you said that that's a sort of um, a, a mirror of what will happen to her. You know, she'll get her neck. She's exposing her neck and will get had to get chopped off and i'm sure that you're probably right but also to me it was a moment where you see her accepting the reality of the suffering of the people um and recognizing that in actual fact they are her master this is a i don't know if this is making any sense but no it does some realization at last that actually you know, here they are living in misery and here is she living in this fake world and she bows to them. No, I, I'm probably making that up. Um, but it was a very interesting point in the movie, I thought. You're very justified to think that. And it is, it's a fascinating moment, especially when the crowd goes quiet for a few minutes and then quickly yes. starts chanting again. You know that it's, it's meant nothing. Um, yeah, this this one big act, maybe the biggest thing that she's ever done in her whole life, means nothing. Yeah, almost immediately. It's too late. Yeah, I I do think the film conveys a general sense that she's you know almost permanently you know a fish out of water, and there are all these moments where she talks. She says, "I I, I can't win. I'm trapped between Austria and France." Um, if mm. I work in France's best interests, everyone at home is disappointed and I've let them down. And if I do anything to support Austria, I'm letting France down. I know that she's off. Yeah. It's, it's lavish and it's extravagant and it loves to have fun with the parties and the gossip, the, that kind of high school vibe of Versailles where everyone's into everyone else's business, you know, rip torn as the Dauphin and just having the most wild time he could possibly have um jason schwartzman is this kind of nerd and the, and they're, they're having it's it's kind of played for comedy and everything else i think ultimately it's quite somber and it you never feel like anything good is going to come from this or that maybe that she's even actually having a good time i think it's possible that um she's doing all of this just to try and feel something Hmm. Yes, I'd I'd come back to the disengagement thing, the weakness of the movie for me. um, Because I'm not sure I ever care about that. Mm. Um, You know, I, yes, you're quite right. She does say, oh, I don't, you know, the the tension between France and Austria and where she, where she sits. And you could make a lot of that, I think, in, in a film. Uh, And you could really make that, um, you know, strong pull onto her emotions. But uh, it's just a thing. It's also that she, at one point, I think she uh, she snubs the king's mistress. Mm-hmm. Is it is it Dubarry uh, before she's married? Yeah, Dubarry. Um, and you know that's sort of a big moment. Or that she, at one point only, I think she acknowledges her. Um, it didn't mean much to me. It was kind of there. It was a bit of history about Marie Antoinette. Fine. But I didn't get the emotion of it. I didn't get, you know, the agony that 
uh, Duberry had gone through um, and, you know, what she must have gone through, feeling that she had been cast out from the centre of attention. Um, you know, it just... It, well, again, I go back to the marshmallow thing. Yeah. It was great fun, but only at one point, I think, did it really touch the emotions, which was the scene of her bowing in front of the crowd. Which which I guess is a success in a way. Like you've gone through this whole, you've gone through two hours where you say you felt disconnected. And yet at the end of the two hours there, it is still able to culminate in this moment where you st- you it resonates with you and you care. Yes, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's my. Maybe I'm twisting things. Have I, have I, um, have I given you my Game of Thrones analogy, Wolf? Would this be a good time to share it? Uh, go ahead. Yeah, I don't think I don't know if I've heard it. Okay. So I've always felt that watching the Game of Thrones, watching Game of Thrones, is a bit like eating sugar. Mm-hmm. Okay. So while you're watching it, a bit like while you're eating sugar, it is all you need, and it is the best thing ever. And give me more, and give me more. Mm-hmm. And then when it's finished, you just feel a bit sick because basically you've done nothing worthwhile, and it's just stopped for a while, and you feel a bit ill. And there's something of that in this movie. I had a great time watching it. I don't think I would ever go back to it particularly. Mm. So interesting. You know, we're not. It's not. You know, it's not that kind of movie for me it's a bit of frippery there's another word for it you know it's a bit of bit of glam bit of fun adamant deck you know pumps uh amazing costumes blah done see i would go back to it but for the the coming of age story i like the scenes that most stand out to me are not so much the lavish parties but the the awkward observations, stuff like the birth scene where everyone's you know crowded around and she has no privacy. Some of the awkward comedy that comes out of her trying to seduce her husband, and he'll be like, "Well, okay, good night," and then roll over onto his side. And yes. I just I just found that awkward. I'm too English to enjoy that. It was just awkward. It, it, I think I think it just I quite enjoy watching like teen movies and coming of age films, and it has so many of those trademarks. And then this, but do you like do you like Chalet Girl then? Uh, loved Chalet Girl. Yeah, me too. Actually, sadly. Yeah. Anyway, carry on. So there's something about the like the awkwardness, the trying to find your place in the world, um, rebelliousness of it all that I quite like meandering through. Um, and the, I don't know. I think the the cast in general is just. I can get a lot of enjoyment out of seeing Rose Byrne playing that kind of over the top. Um, I don't know what her role was in the film. Friend is feels like it doesn't work because of their royal levels. Um, Steve Coogan as the advisor. You know, Rip Torn as the Dauphin. I, I don't know. I just I like so much about it, and I really want to see it again and try and take more out of it because I think that it is there. I could be wrong. But I right. personally think a second watch would be rewarding for me. Okay. Anything final you wanted to say about the film and your feelings on it? Did you have anything you particularly felt about the ending? Um, the ending, they get 
they sort of get bundled out of uh, side, don't they? Yeah. Um, and again, it was mildly tragic, but because I'm a serious person, Wolf, as you mm-hmm. know, um, and because I found her shallow and trivial, mm-hmm. um, the way she was presented, I cared very little for her fate. She had lived this life where she'd never take any interest in the people, um, never seen their their plight, taken any interest in her, um, the work of queenship outside of the responsibility to have a child. And my, I think that's very well described because historically, you know, you see she's young, she's taken away from one world, as I said, into, into another. There's no real reason why she should. But... Um, the way she's presented here, and I don't know how historical this is, the way she's presented presented here, she never tries to do that. She never tries to dig down. You don't have any of the, you know, there's no great search for, hey, let me be relevant. Let me get a role. You know, it's none of that. She just eats cakes. Um, so I didn't really care about her. Okay. At the end. Um, you know, you're going to die as you lived. I'll put one point. Not caring about anything. I'll put one quick point out there. Earlier on in the film, I think she tries to live a different life, and she's quite resistant to the rules of the palace. Um, and you get those the repetitive scenes where they keep coming to change her in the morning and look at her bed. And over time, she becomes more and more um, like a classic teenager. Oh, okay, I'm, I'm yeah. going to stop sitting up. I'm going to stop being awkward. I'm just going to start being lazy and not caring. And, yeah. you know, this is all going to be what it is. I don't care anymore. Um, and I wonder how much the film is suggesting that, you know, Versailles and, and everything about this kind of makes her become this person. Yeah. And if it would make that, I think that to anyone. I think that's a good point, actually. I must admit, and it ties into, the, again, that, that point that the movie really does achieve for me, which is showing the falseness and separateness of the world of Versailles. Um uh, yes, and you're quite right. But she, I took it as more that she had her own ways of doing things. She came from maybe a more practical court. Mm. Um, but this is not about saying, hey, I want to get involved with the yeah. people. I want to do yeah. good works. And the role of queenship throughout history has been a very important one of showing herself to the people, of taking the lead in religious ceremonies, of being a conduit to the king, of en- encouraging the king to be merciful to his subjects. That's a core part of the Queen's role. She doesn't try and play any of that. No. So is that one of your kind of bigger issues with the film? As in, did it did it present to you a Marie Antoinette that you always thought that you would see? Or did it present to you uh, like a reinterpretation that you hadn't imagined of kind of her and her role? I think it presented a Marie Antoinette that history has always given us. The, it gave us the let them eat cake, Marie Antoinette. I think what the film did is give you an explanation of that, which wasn't, oh, she was just a terrible person. She was a product of the system that she was part of. Okay. Um, and therefore, you know, gives you a really good way to understand how could she have been different. Um, so it kind of excuses her in a way um 
but i don't i don't think it reinterpreted her as this you know uh great queen monke who was always trying to do good do good works and was just frustrated out of it okay interesting well i think we should move on to the history because we've kind of started mentioning it um and i'll try and go through it quickly okay I think just to throw something out there to begin with, I would have, I kind of assumed that the history was going to be terrible um, because it didn't feel like it was the, the point of the movie. And then no. uh, Sophia Coppola's kind of quotes around the movie, some of which I'd read, for example, I wanted to make a personal story and not a big epic historical biopic. Yeah. And also because of the, the anger that seemed to be directed at the film for its like aesthetic and directional decisions. I just assumed, I was like, okay, it's going to be really bad on history um, so that it can achieve all this other stuff that it does. But the more I read into it, it isn't actually that bad at getting the facts in there. I think the issue that will will arise from this is what it chooses not to put in and kind of how it favors parts of history. That's just my view up front. So in terms of accuracy, it was filmed in Versailles. Uh, Apparently, this is incredibly rare. Yeah, it must be. And they had complete free reign to film in any part of the palace. So none of it was um, out of bounds. And I think they filmed in the Hall of Mirrors, which is impressive in of itself. And then that had a full restoration like the year after. I mean, that, that's, it's just incredible. Yeah. To be able to see that. I think, I don't even know if I fully appreciated it because I assumed it was a trick of the movies. Uh, I've never been there myself, but that was Versailles. The opening scene with the undressing and the stripping of all Austrian life and tradition to transition into this French one apparently is very accurate for the procedures that they would have carried out. Um, Marie Antoinette was meant to carry out most of her private moments with some form of an audience. So, for example, the, the birthing scene is fairly accurate. The scenes where she was having to dress with all these other people. Um, and apparently the real... Marie Antoinette was fairly shy of being naked in front of others. So that kind of comes across in the film. Mm. In reality, it took seven years for Marie Antoinette to finally seduce King Louis in order for them to produce an heir, which I think is if probably longer than the film suggests. Um, and apparently they didn't share a bedchamber. I know this is an inaccuracy, but they it was only rare That's, occasions. That, that was very common, kings and queens tended to sleep in different cha- different chambers it's very um it's very bourgeois mm. to to sl- share the same bedroom I and mean, jane and i never you know we obviously have separate suites and separate houses. separate wings separate wings i personally think the film does a good job of depicting how gossip affected her reputation even though we don't really have the, a wider understanding of france and the political landscape you can see gossip at work in the palace and how it affects all of them. And it makes sense to me then when I read about how gossip affected her reputation to the public, I've seen it worming its way through the film. So that to me, that is created. I appreciate that. Um, She was married when she was 14 and she was queen by the time she was 18. And I think her youth and that kind of, um, this teenage queen does come across in the film. I think that's captured perfectly. I think the, the interference and influence of her family is reflected in the film, um, both from her mother and her brother. And although we mentioned this earlier, in in reality, she's a little bit more political and she's more involved in certain decisions made to do with Austria. Um, 
and obviously there's the the relationship between Austria and France as powers, which we don't get in this film really. I just think that the constant letters, her brother coming to visit her, the influence they have over her is conveyed in the film. And I can see how in historical times she was torn between the two of them and how the French public would start to see her as this Austrian um, spy or influencer who was affecting French powers. One thing I couldn't quite figure out, the affair. I've read some things which say the affair didn't happen and some things which say the affair did happen. So I don't, from the limited research that I've done, I don't have an answer on that one, but I'm going to, I'm going to tentatively put it in the inaccuracy section. Okay. And I think we can also agree that she didn't actually bow her head at Versailles. Um, yeah. I think whatever building they were in, cause I'm not sure they were there. I can't remember. Um, it was stormed and they were attacked and they stuffed that red hat on top of King Louis's head. Um, I think maybe Marie Antoinette was somebody even hit her. I can't remember, but it definitely didn't go down like it did in, in right. the film. There was no brief pause. They just stormed the building in the film. It kind of suggests, which is true that she didn't want to leave her husband when they sent everyone else away and she wanted to stay with him. That is true from what I can gather, but there were a number of planned escapes to get out of um, Versailles and out of yes. that area. It wasn't just that they were going to stay the whole way through. I think they make Louis seems a little bit more honorable towards the end of the movie. Um, yeah. Whereas I think he was more of a, he was a bit lost. And yes, I was reading about the flight to Varennes, um, which was that failed escape attempt where they d- tried to disguise a bunch of people as staff supporting this Russian um diplomat i guess visitor so i thought it was interesting that they were actually trying to escape multiple times rather than just accepted their fate they just were pretty inept at doing it and they kept waiting too long and i guess just to kind of round it out um and it's maybe it's to do with the inaccuracies but i think the biggest thing to do with the history is that i found it hard to figure out exactly why or when the public turned on her and what was happening with the revolution that would get us to where the film ends because we yeah. only ever re- see things from her perspective and from within a limited bubble. Um, and the wider political stuff really doesn't feature in this film to me. And whenever it occasionally crops up, I haven't really seen how we got there. Yeah. I mean, I think they do that for a reason. I think that's one of the reasons it got uh, quite a lot of hate, wasn't it? That everybody was saying, well, look, you're, we're looking at, you're at the most one of the most exciting events in history, and yet you're not providing any context, any understanding of what happens and why. But for me, that is excluded specifically Mm -hmm. because they want us to see the world through Marie Antoinette's eyes. And since she doesn't involve herself in any way in the politics and the role of queenship and understanding the people to whom for whom she's queen, she doesn't see any of that. She doesn't understand it. It comes as a incomprehensible shock to her, and I therefore I don't think you could have shown the context and retained that purity, yeah, of her attitude because we'd have known, um, and we'd have assumed that she had known. Yeah, it would have been a completely different film. Yeah. So. I I wouldn't put it in the historical accuracy box in a sense Mm. because 
Um, and it's, it's a funny thing, uh, judging historically, actually. I mean, obviously, I think she wears trainers at one point, didn't she? And she wears inappropriate footwear, anyway. Um, and again, I'm not sure I care. I've never been one of those people, actually, who, you know, sees films and says, those are not Roman clips on those legionaries' helmets. Those are, in fact, made in Birmingham in 1943. And that's the wrong issue. Don't really care about that, to be honest. I didn't care about the, the shoes. Yeah, I think if it captures the sense of the character or what you're trying to achieve, um, it makes complete sense. I think if it's just really random yeah. and you, you can't figure out why, this movie is very clear from the beginning what yeah. it's going to do. And yeah, so if it's, it's, go it's a lazy thing of the just get it wrong, then yeah, it's not great. But um, if it's done for a reason, then you know, whatever. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to add? I don't think there is, actually. I think it's a funny one to mark because it's clearly not historically accurate in the sense that Adamant had yet to be born and that some of the some of the clothing, I, I think she wears trainers, um, was, you know, wrong. Um, but the broad brush of events seems to me to be accurate she didn't bow her head that that big moment in the movie you know was was fake um but i but the truth of it of this this young girl from a you know who just didn't understand what was happening if i think is probably true i'd need to know more about marie antoinette i must admit but you know. Um, the last thing I'll add before we rate it is I did enjoy the moment where she's reading the newspaper and she reads that they've claimed she said, let them eat cake. And she's like, oh, what's yeah. this gossip? I've never said that. Who made this up? And yeah. I thought it was a smart little moment from this film that's already playing with history, but has some awareness yes. of our perceptions of her and kind of how things are getting. Yes. And it does kind of show how things are getting out of hand. I don't know. It's just a little moment that I, I enjoyed. Yes, I think that got noted the time it came out. I seem to remember that that being one of the, you know, one of the headline comments. You know, that it clears her of this uh, apocryphal saying. Um, but there's no proof she said it. No, absolutely not. That's I think that's what they're oh, saying. Okay. Uh, you know yeah. that she that Sophia Coppola puts the record straight. Um, but then obviously it's. It doesn't also pretend that they didn't eat loads and loads of cake and do all this yes. um, frivolous Indeed. stuff. Well, okay. And fondant French fancies. Mm. How would you rate the film? What would be your score? I'd give it a six. I may be being a bit mean because I would definitely recommend people go and see it. Okay. No, that's fine. I, it's a bit of fun. I think you can rate it a six and still recommend it. I personally would give it an eight. Impressive. I, I just enjoyed it in a way I kind of maybe didn't anticipate that I would. Well, maybe I, I think I may be being a bit miserable. I could be, could be talked up. But anyway, you're closer to your teenage years than I am. Uh, although not that close. Uh, no, but the music should remind you more of yours, right? Yes. True. <laughs> Fair point. What do you mean? The 18th century. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it just, I thought you might get that nostalgic connection. You're like, yeah, I did. Adamant. Wasn't he great? The Cure, I think, made an appearance too. Mm -hmm. I wasn't a big fan of The Cure, to be honest. I think they need to pull themselves together. 
Okay, what, what would you what would you give the history score? I put down a seven, but I think that I think a seven is a fair score. It's really difficult. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean they get the broad brush of it, right? They put in the bits, you know, about uh, Louis and his clock making and all that sort of stuff, and the um, uh, the king's mistress and all the rest. So I think it's yeah, fair enough, and the. The transgressions are clearly done for a very obvious reason. Yeah, and you would recommend it? Yeah, I certainly would. No, I think it's a great, uh, it's a great film to go and watch. Great evening. Good. I differ from you that, that I'm not sure I'd want to do it again, particularly, but I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it, uh, and I would also recommend it. So now I suggest we open it up to everyone else's thoughts. Yes, that would be good. People came came forward and uh, told us what they thought. I'm sure we're going to get a really wide array of responses. Yeah, I hope so. Okay, and with that, let's end. So thank you all for listening. Yes. Thank you indeed. Thank you from me. And a thank you from me. Are you not entertained? Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.